Uh, good afternoon, Redeemer, and all that are friends who have come to be with us in this service, and those that are watching online. Greetings. My name is Daniel Maundu, and I serve in Redeemer as one of the elders. And it's always a joy to come together, to worship together with you. Let me ask you, what is the most important question that you are facing today? Is it the career that you should choose? Is it when or whom you should marry? Is it about the future of your children? Or to how you're preparing for your retirement? Is it whether you should try a new medical procedure, maybe for that illness that has been pressing you? Yeah. Is it about whether you should move from maybe one city or country to another? What is pressing you today? What is the most pressing issue that you are facing this very afternoon? As much as we have all these things which are important to consider, there is one important question that far outweighs whatever right now is a pressing issue in your mind, the temporary things I've talked about. And we need to answer it correctly. We need to assess it and address it properly as it should be. So, what is that question that I have today? The question is, who is Jesus and how should I respond to him? That is a question that is greater than every other single question that you are experiencing or facing right now. As we seek to answer the question, let's turn to God in prayer first. It pleased you to send your son Jesus to redeem us and to reconcile us back to you. And as we seek to know him, please let your spirit cast or shine the spotlight on him so that we can see him better for who he is, so that we can understand him and love him and adore him increasingly. Father, we depend on you this afternoon. We depend on your spirit. Please work to show us Jesus to the glory of your name. We pray in his name. Amen. Yeah, we have been going through the book of John in the last several months, and uh, it has been a great delight to see who Jesus is more and more through the book of John. Last week, we saw that Jesus is the God 
who heals. We also saw that sin is the greatest disease that has far greater consequences in life and in thereafter than any other disease. And yet we also saw that Jesus, as the God who heals, can cure this disease of sin. Now, Jesus, from last week's passage, had just healed a man by the pool in Jerusalem. And he told the man, pick up your mat or bed and walk. And so the man picked up his bed and walked. And that, that the healing happened on a Sabbath day. But then the Jews immediately when they saw him carrying his mat confronted him and they told him, hey man, it's unlawful for you to carry your mat or your bed on the Sabbath day. And the man answered, the man who healed me told me to pick up my mat and to walk. Now the Jews got concerned. Who is this Sabbath lawbreaker? Who is this man that is encouraging other people to break the Sabbath law? We want to see that man. Now, unfortunately, this man did not know who Jesus was. And so, later, Jesus appears to the man and tells him, you have been healed. So, don't continue to live a life of sin lest something worse happens to you. And immediately, this man went and told the, the Jews that it is Jesus who had healed him. Now, our text, the one that we have, that Roger has just read for us, picks up from that point. That is John chapter 5. So if you have not yet opened, please open John chapter 5. We will consider verse 16 all the way to verse 29. From this section, we will see that uh, there was a growing opposition from the Jews towards Jesus. And then, in response, Jesus will declare himself who he is. He will reveal himself all the more to these people, even in their opposition towards him. And in the process, we will see that Jesus is in a very special relationship with God. And we will also see that Jesus is the one who has authority to give eternal life. At the same time, we'll see that Jesus is the one who has authority to judge all mankind. So let's observe, first of all, the growing opposition. Verse 16 to 18. This was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus. Because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. Because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. And so in this section, we see the Jews have started to persecute Jesus. Jesus. 
They wanted to harm him for doing a good work. Healing a man on the Sabbath. A man that had been sick for 38 years. Now, who are these Jews that John is talking about? Definitely he's not talking about the entire nation of Israel that time. But John refers to the religious leaders and the rulers of the people that very time. Their argument was, you have healed a man on the Sabbath. That is work. The law of Moses forbids work on the Sabbath. And you are bound by that law. And you have broken that law. Now, if you read the book of Exodus chapter 31 verse 15, God had said that if anyone goes about working on the Sabbath, then he should be stoned to death. Now, while they accused Jesus of healing a man on the Sabbath, they themselves were also doing some good deeds on the Sabbath. Like, for example, if their cow falls into a ditch, they would come and lift it. In fact, Jesus had told them the same thing before. That if your cow falls into a ditch on the Sabbath, won't you lift it and heal it? So here, Jesus has done a good work, a good deed, and they are persecuting him. These Jews had also understood that God is not bound by the Sabbath law obligations. He never ceases to work. Day and night, God is watching over his creation, doing good to people, and exercising his rights as the creator. Children are born on the Sabbath, and people die on the Sabbath. The sun rises on the Sabbath, and sets. These are works of God. It rains even on the Sabbath. Things that knew very well, these are the works of God. So God, according to their teaching, was exempt from keeping or observing the Sabbath regulations. Now, in response to that accusation of working on the Sabbath, Jesus answered them, my father has been working until now, and I am working. They understood the language very well. They understood exactly what Jesus has said and what he has meant. There is only one, if you ask them, they know there is only one to whom the Sabbath prohibitions don't apply. And that is God. And so, for Jesus to say his father works even on the Sabbath, he actually says, God is my father. And this thing infuriated all them all the more. They got angry. And they know, again in the scriptures, that that is blasphemy. Calling God your father, Making yourself equal with God is blasphemy. And again, they had, they had in the law the penalty or the punishment for blasphemy. 
And once more, it is stoning to death. Now, at this point then, the Jews were seeking to kill Jesus for two crimes, according to them. And one is breaking the Sabbath, and the second one is blasphemy. Now, how did Jesus respond to these accusations? Now, Jesus did not try to correct them for their thoughts and conclusions. That is exactly what he wanted them to understand. That is the message he was trying to communicate to them. He stood by what he had said. Instead, he went ahead to clarify to them his true identity. And just as he wanted them to get a proper understanding of who he is, in the same way, he wants us to understand him and to get to know him for who he truly is. He does not want us to mistake his identity. In Matthew chapter 16, Jesus had asked his disciples, who do men say that I am? His disciples told him, some people say you are Elijah, Others say you are Jeremiah's. Others say you are John the Baptist. Others say you are one of those prophets. But then he asked them, and who you, who do you say I am? And Peter answered. And Jesus said, yes, you got it. God has revealed to you who I am. So this question we can ask ourselves today, I could ask you, as of today, who do you say Jesus is? Some people will say he is a prophet. So some people will say he was a miracle worker. He was this and that. But you who are listening to me, who do you say Jesus is? Let's continue to see Jesus' self-disclosure. Verse 19 to 20. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. For the Father loves the Son and assures him all that he himself is doing. And greater works than these will he show him so that you may marvel. From this, we see that Jesus is in a unique and a special relationship with the Father, and that all that he does springs forth from that relationship. Jesus never did anything on his own accord. The only thing he wanted ever to do was the will of God, the will of the Father. He had only this one mission, to execute the will of the Father. He was never distracted any single moment from focusing on the will of the Father. And he shows us here 
that we should also focus, is an example, it shows us an example that we should be focusing on the will of God. It's the best will for our lives. So we read that he does only what he sees the Father doing. What does he mean by that I do only what I see my Father doing? Now, normally, you are able to see what I'm doing. We see what our fellow brothers and sisters are doing. But for Jesus to say, I, I do only what I see my Father do. Now, God is invisible. Nobody has seen God. Jesus says, I see what my Father is doing. Now, verse 18 of chapter 1 says, No one has ever seen God. The only God who is, who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. And therefore, by this we see there is a special relationship. Jesus has an intimate knowledge of the Father. He has a, a, a deep understanding. There is a, there is a merging of will. He knows God. He knows the Father better than any other person knows. And we read. Let's continue. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. Now, this is astonishing. That anything, anything that the Father does, the Son is able to do. It means then that the Son has complete equality with the Father. He must be all-knowing, all-powerful, all-wise, and basically he must have all the attributes or all those things, the qualities that uh, are in the Father for him to make such a claim. Jesus and the Father are in such a union that the Father never does anything apart from him. Whatever he wants to do, he shows to the Son. And then the Son executes it. In chapter 1, verse 3 of the same book of John, we read, All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Every single thing that was done was made, was done through Jesus. And Colossians chapter 1, verse 16 says, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And still in the book of Hebrews, it says that Jesus upholds the universe by the word of his power. Who could do these things but God alone? If he does what God alone can do, then there is no mistake of who he is. He and the Father are equal. 
looking at verse 20, we see that there is such a loving relationship between the father and the son. There is an inseparable bond of love between them. It is the pleasure of the son to do the father's will. And it is the pleasure of the father to reveal everything to the son. Near Jesus says that he will reveal even greater works than that of healing the man so that the people may marvel greater works like raising Lazarus from the dead. Jesus continues to make more claims that reveal his true identity. And all these claims point to him to as being equal with the Father. Let's consider some of the other claims that uh, show his equality with the Father. Verse 21. The Father raises the dead and gives them life. Jesus gives life to anyone he wishes. Verse 22 and verse 27. Only God alone, God alone has the right to judge. And we see that Jesus will be the judge. Verse 23. The special honor given to the Father is also to be given to the Son. Anyone who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father. Verse 26. The Father has life in himself. Jesus has life in himself. To have life in himself means that he is not caused by anyone. That there is nothing that can take away his life. Now, we don't have life in ourselves, okay? Whatever we have is derived. It is from God. And we depend on God and his creation to continue to exist. And so the things that we depend on if they are taken away from us, we will die. Because we don't have life in ourselves. Our life is derived. It's given. But think about God. What does he need to exist? What does he need to support him to continue being God? Nothing. Because he has life in himself. He is not caused by anyone. There is nothing that God can be deprived of. And then we say that because of that, he ceases to be. Because he is lacking. God lacks nothing. He has life in himself. And God does not need anything from anyone, therefore, to exist. Now, we read in chapter 1 of John, the same book, that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, 
And the word was God. And Jesus is the word who came into this earth. He took upon flesh and he dwelt among us. So Jesus was before the creation. In the beginning, he existed. There is no beginning and there is no end of Jesus when he began. Now a clear look at all these statements that we have gone through leaves no doubt as to who Jesus is. That he is the son of God and not just a mere human. He is equal in essence with the father. In other parts of the scripture, we continue to see that Jesus possesses all the attributes of God. And that is why we worship him for who he is. Truly God, truly man. The opposition that began against him was sustained until the Jews had Jesus crucified. They had hated him without a cause. And when Jesus challenged them, what, do you, what sin do you accuse me of? Nobody could say anything. Pilate found him without any cause of wrongdoing. They could not bring a credible charge against Jesus. And so the innocent was killed by the guilty ones. But God was doing an amazing work even through the death of his son. Before his eyes, Jesus was dying for sinners like you and me. So that if we put our faith in Jesus, if we trust that he died for our sins, then we can have eternal life from him. And after three days, Jesus was raised from the dead by the working of God. Death could not reign over him. He now lives forever, forever crowned. He's in his throne in heaven. And therefore, as we look at him today, brothers and sisters, I want you to get fully persuaded of the truth of the claims of Jesus. Why do they matter? Why do these claims matter? Because he alone, Jesus alone, has the authority to give eternal life. And second, Jesus alone has the authority to judge all mankind. So now let us consider that Jesus is the one who gives eternal life. Verse 21 of our text. For the Father raises the dead and gives them life. So, so, for as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. 
It is God alone who has the power to raise the dead. He gives life where there is no life. In the Old Testament, we see God raising the dead through prophet Elijah and prophet Elisha. And we see in the New Testament, Jesus raising the dead. He raises the son of a widow in Nain. He raises the daughter of Jairus. And he raises Lazarus. But then, there is a, a, a greater death than the physical death. And it's called the second death. The eternal punishment. Then the second death is the eternal punishment by God for having rebelled against him. Every one of us, you and I, have rebelled against God and sinned against him. And we deserve that second death. We deserve that eternal punishment of the wrath of God. However, God has made a way through Jesus for us to be reconciled back to him and have life. In verse 25, he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, and Hawa is coming and is now here, when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. People that are dead in their sins can hear the voice of Jesus, and they will live. He quickens them, giving them eternal life. Verse 24 says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Anyone who hears the word of God, Jesus' call, and responds that person will not come to judgment. So, you may be asking, how do I go to Jesus for eternal life? First, you need to admit that you have sinned against him. It begins there. And he knows every single thing about you. Whatever you have ever done or thought in your mind, he knows very well. Then you have to repent of your sins and turn to him and ask him for forgiveness. Put your faith in him and live a life of commitment to him. Jesus will forgive you. And give you eternal life. And if you have already done this. Let me remind you. Jesus says that all those who come to me. I will lose none. I will keep to the end. Paul said. I'm not ashamed. Because I know. Whom I have believed in. And I'm persuaded. 
that is able to keep what I have committed to him until that day. Jesus will never lose any single person that has come to him and are putting their faith in him. So if you have already done that, let me encourage you. You have passed from death to life. Coming to Jesus is coming to life. Let's consider then that Jesus is the God who has authority to judge all people. Look at verse 22. For the Father judges no one to the Son. Verse 20. The Father has given the Son authority to execute judgment. A time is coming when Jesus will judge all people of all nations who have ever lived of all times. Every person who has ever lived. Verse 28 says, Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice, and they will come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life, and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. So you may ask, how shall people be gathered together before Jesus for judgment? Jesus will call out everyone by his mighty power and every single person will come out of the grave. But you may ask, how, how, how can it be? How can it be? How is it possible? Do remember that it's the same Jesus who spoke and the present world came out of nothing. What can be difficult for him? If he can speak out and soil, soil, soil and stone and everything you see comes out of nothing. So that day, Jesus will call out. Now, do remember, in the same book of John, chapter 11, he goes to Lazarus' tomb and he stands and calls out, Lazarus, come forth. And Lazarus, who had been dead for four days, comes out. What would be difficult for Jesus to call and say, everyone, come out. That's what will happen. So on that day, when Jesus calls, every one of us will obey. Not a single person will be able to resist that call. And everyone will be raised. You will be raised. I will be raised. But now look again at the two separate destinies to which people will go. It says, those who have done good will be raised to the resurrection of life. Now the good we are talking about here is not works. 
You know, those works you feel I have done this and this and this. I've given, I've done this. So God will, so it's check. I am admitted. That good we do is not sufficient to meet the standards of God. But the good that we are talking about here is that those who have trusted the Father, those who have trusted Jesus and have put their faith in him, those people will be raised to the resurrection of eternal life with Jesus. But those who have rejected and have continued in their evil ways, they will also be raised, but to a time of everlasting shame and pain, suffering God's wrath. Jesus has the authority to judge, and he will judge all people who ever lived on the face of this earth. Listen to these words from the book of Revelation, chapter 20, verse 11. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated upon it. From his presence, earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and the heads gave up the dead who were in them, and they were judged each one of them according to what he had done. Death and heads were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, was thrown into the lake of fire. People mock at hearing about Jesus. Some people mock, but that day when he calls out and the judgment begins, he will be the judge. Jesus has authority to judge. Now, when John was seeing that vision, he saw Jesus seated on that throne, judging Everybody came to be judged. Everybody was judged. John saw Jesus seated on that throne. It is this same Jesus who has authority to give eternal life. Accepting the offer of eternal life that is free today is the best thing a person can do for himself today. The best thing you can do for yourself today is to accept the free gift of eternal life because it's either you have picked the eternal life or the eternal death. 
So Jesus has authority to give life and authority to judge those who reject him. He will stand before him and I will stand before him on that final day. And so my brothers and sisters, friends, and those who are hearing me, as you think about the questions we began with, whether it's about your studies, whether it's about your work, your health, your retirement, your holidays, anything that you are thinking, and whatever pressing issue that you have in your life, remember this, the greatest question still remains, who is Jesus to you now? Who is Jesus and how have you responded to him? Make this your priority. And if you have not yet turned to him, he invites you to come to him to receive eternal life. Jesus has authority to give life and Jesus will judge everyone. He has that authority. He is truly God, truly man. Let's pray together. Oh, Father, we are amazed at the glory of your son, Jesus, that he chose to come into our world to reveal you to us and to bring us back to you. We are truly grateful. Would we continue to marvel at his majesty and adore him? Would your grace fill our lives to respond to him in faith, in submission and obedience? All to your glory and honor. And we pray this in his name. Amen.